The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why, I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors Feed the hungry, help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, and we so desperately need you in every way, every person is carrying some sort of heavy burden, and we all have a great need for you. I ask, Lord, that you would help me to communicate truth today, the truth of your word, that I would communicate it clearly and that it would bring forth 
change in our lives. We do not believe, Lord, in merely hearing your word. We believe also in doing your word. So make us doers today, Lord, not just hearers, but doers, and to be a light in our world. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you don't know me, uh, my name is John. I'm also part of the church staff, and it's my turn this week to share with you on Orphan Sunday. And you may not have known that there is such a thing as Orphan Sunday. I didn't know either <laughs> until just a few weeks ago that they even had such a thing as Orphan Sunday. And, but um, Blair Lesser brought it up to the staff, and we thought, wow, that is a great thing to highlight. And so we decided to join in and uh, talk about this incredible, incredible need in the world today. And so I'm going to go from the biblical perspective, of course, because that's what we do. But uh, we had an, an amazing week this past week. And so I know that some of you are wanting me to talk about the election or say something about the results or this or that. And uh, I, for one, I am so glad it's over. I'm just sick of it, you know? It's just like, it seems to me every election cycle just gets longer and longer and longer, and pretty soon people are going to start campaigning for the 2035 presidency, you know? It's just really out of hand. But this is not the place for us to talk about politics, and if you want to know really what the church's perspective is on that, then I would point you to a talk that Pastor Matt gave two weeks ago. And go back on our website and you can listen to that and you'll hear a great perspective of how Canyon Ridge treats politics and how we look at that. And just let me remind you of one thing. Romans 13.1. This is God's word, all right? And we base our life on this. This is the truth. And in Romans 13, 1, it says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So that means to me that God put Trump as our president. But what it doesn't mean is that God endorsed Trump. He did not. God did not endorse him, nor is God a Republican or a Democrat, right? He's not either party. And because he chose Trump as our president doesn't mean that he is for Trump, okay? In terms of all of his policies and his beliefs and what have you and what so forth. God has appointed many leaders that he would never stand behind. So uh, he is sovereign and he sees the big picture and so he makes his choices and we then get to obey. So that's all I'll say about that. Um, and I wanna just kinda uh, talk to you a little bit before I get into this about this, this past year, we have been following this prayer initiative that came to us Canyon Ridge Church, you need to pray. And so we started praying. So far, we have had six 
for, actually, by the end of this year, we'll have done six prayer workshops, teaching people how to pray. You know what I find is that people don't know how to pray. People don't know how to pray. Christians don't know how to pray. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe 10, 20 years, don't know how to pray. And when they pray, they can't go more than a minute or two. They quickly run out of things to say in prayer or they fall asleep or it's very unproductive and they're very frustrated. And so we're teaching people how to pray and getting incredible results. Folks are every week, every single week, somebody is telling me how their prayer life has radically changed and how they don't have an hour isn't enough time for them. And so 20-minute mornings is just a starting point in their life. And so uh, we're teaching people how to pray. We've had 12 all-church prayer meetings this year, 12 of them. One of them went all night long, okay, an all-night prayer meeting. And we've got 58% of our church committed to prayer, 20, in prayer in the 20-minute mornings every morning, every day. We have gone through many different books of the Bible this year and studied them and meditated on them. And so why all of this? Why am I telling you all of this? I'm telling you this because the original goal was to break the growth barrier. Those of you who were around in January, you remember that. Break the growth barrier. Well, have, has our congregation increased in number? Slightly, but not any number that you would go, oh, wow, something really awesome is happening. You okay? It's just small amount of numerical growth, but a massive amount of spiritual growth. Massive, unprecedented. You got to understand this. Maybe you don't realize really what's going on. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing, amazing. We have baptized more people this year than any year combined. There is, if this is the baseline, then all of our growth this year has gone downward. It's gone inside. It's developing character, godliness. It's transforming people's values, how they live. And I think that the growth barrier is broken. And so now we will see the growth going this way. Because you can't have this kind of growth, growth going up in numbers and numerically, if you don't have the foundation, right? You know, when you build a building, you can only add so many levels to that structure that correspond to levels that go down. If you have, uh, if you build a skyscraper 10 stories and your foundation doesn't go one story down, the first windstorm, that thing's going to fall right over. So it has to go deep, deep, deep into the ground. You remember pictures of the World Trade Center when it was knocked down and all excavated? It was just a massive hole in the ground. Because to build a building that's 100 floors, you got to have a massive foundation. And that's what God's been doing in us this whole year. Building in us this incredible foundation. So... Get ready for it. <laughs> we are getting ready for it. I'm excited. Isaiah 58, amazing passage of scripture, chapter in the Bible. 
And my goal today in, in talking about Orphan Sunday is, and my hope and my prayer is that you would reorient your lives, that you would change some things in your life, you would change your priorities and what you do and how you spend your life so that you can have the time and the tools and the uh, resources to begin doing the work of justice, to begin doing justice and mercy in our community. So did you catch that? My goal is that you would, at the end of this talk today, you would begin to reorient your life so that you are able to do justice and mercy in our community. And at the end, I think we'll also offer prayer for those who want it pertaining to that very thing. Did you notice in verse 2 that these are a very devoted group of people? These are people, Isaiah's addressing people who, these are very religious people, very passionate people about their faith. They are morally upright before God, all right? They are doing what God has called him to do. And so then in verse three, they respond to that. They respond to God with this great indignation. God, we've done all these things. We have fasted, we have prayed, we have studied, we have done what's right, and you don't notice it. You're not responding to it. Nothing's happening. Where are you, God? You ever feel like that? Where are you, God? I certainly have. Why haven't you responded, God? And so God responds to their pushback, and he says, here's the reason why. Because while you're fasting, you're also oppressing your workers. And so what you're doing is you're, you're honoring the Sabbath day. You're taking the Sabbath day off and you're enjoying that before the Lord. But you don't give the day off to your workers. So you're enjoying the Sabbath. Well, they continued to work on the Sabbath. And so God essentially says that kind of fasting will get you nowhere with me. Look down at verse 6. God says, this is the kind of fasting I expect. To help those who are not getting justice. To lighten the burden of your workers. Share your wealth. Show mercy to the oppressed and the less fortunate. Give food to the hungry. Shelter the homeless clothing to those who need it. And I love this last part. I, I hope you caught it. Don't hide from your relatives that need help. How fitting with Thanksgiving coming right around the corner. I think that's great advice. Every family has that one family member that goes around hitting everybody up for money. You have one person like that in your family. They are always broke and they always need money and they're always going around to every person begging for money. He says, don't hide from that person. And that's so easy to do. In other words, don't pretend that you don't know. Don't pretend that you don't know they're having a hardship. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. Don't say that you love them and do nothing. Now, 
God is not advocating zero boundaries, all right? So you don't just keep funneling money to somebody who's a fool, right? I mean, we have wisdom, we have boundaries with money. But God is saying, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy who uh, pretends there is no need around him so that he doesn't have to respond. I think you also have that family member who has a lot of means. They're well off. We've got family members like that in my family. Unfortunately, it's not me. But, um, and, and they go on and on about how stressed they are out about money. And all how poor I am. I've got kids in college. You realize what the bill is at Harvard these days? And my son's Beamer needed new tires. And, you know, our... Our vacation uh, cabin that we purchased in the Bahamas needs all this upkeep and work. It's just so expensive, and we just don't have the money. I'm sorry, we can't help you. We just got all these great bills. We're so poor. And I know we look dumb, but we're not that dumb, right? You see through it. You kidding me? God is saying through Isaiah... I see right through it. You say that you know me. You say that you love God. But if you don't take any action to help the poor, to rescue the fatherless, to care for the widows in need, then you don't have a right relationship with me. You're missing it. You're fooling yourself about how close you are to God. And in case you think this is just one isolated passage of scripture regarding this, Proverbs 14, 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults God. Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is generous to the poor, catch this, this is great. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to God and God will repay him. Well, that's good news, isn't it? that if you give money to the poor, you're actually giving it to God, you're lending money to God, that he is going to repay, and God always makes good on his debts. So where is he going with this? Something radical is taking place here. And you can't miss this. You cannot miss this. This is unbelievable. God is identifying himself with the poor and needy. Do you realize how radical that is? You know, you would introduce somebody by their name, and in doing so, you would say a little bit about them. So let's say that you show up today for church, and you have a guest, and so you whistle to me, hey, come over here, John. And so I come walking over, and you say to your friend, this is John, he's one of our pastors. All right, so... You would introduce me, this is John, that's who he is, right? And what he does. Did you catch that? It's a true statement, is it not? That's who I am. That's what I do. It is true. So when God introduces himself, what does he say? He says this, Psalm 68, he says, I am the father to the fatherless. 
I am a defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. Over and over and over and over and over throughout scripture, you see God identifying himself with the poor, the fatherless, the husband to the widow, the defender of the helpless, the disadvantaged. God is standing with the poor and the oppressed. That is radical because in every other culture in the world, every other religion in the world, their God does not stand with the poor. He stands with the people at the top. Their God is about the God of wealth and he's at the top. He has it all. And here we have God introducing himself saying, I identify with the people at the bottom. Zechariah chapter 7 is a parallel passage to Isaiah 58. They, they go together, they say the same things, almost identical. So listen to verses 9 and 10 of Zechariah 7. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Judge fairly and show mercy and kindness to one another. Do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, or the poor. Are you feeling guilty yet? Just wait. <laughs> Isaiah 1, the first chapter of this great, amazing, amazing book of scripture. And I bet many of you have never read Isaiah 1. Or if you have, you have completely forgotten it. But if you have somebody in your life that you want to rebuke, study this chapter right here. Okay, this will give you all, all the ideas you'll ever need. This is God's searing rebuke of his people. And let's, I'll just read a few verses. Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offering disgusts me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days of fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. <laughs> you know, when I was sitting there this week and, and studying this and reading that, I thought, wow, how many meetings have I been to in open Bible churches with a bunch of pastors and God felt that way about our meeting. I bet a lot. Now, I, I don't hate those guys. I just, anyway, I digress. Uh, <laughs> verse 14, I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen, for your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the right of widows. Defend the cause of orphans, you catch it? And fight for the rights of widows. Essentially, those people who cannot care for themselves. They cannot speak up for themselves. The rich don't need anybody's help, right? They can defend themselves. 
If they get in a pinch, they can hire a boatload of attorneys. And if that doesn't work, they'll just hire hitmen. <laughs> they can do it. They are fine. It's the orphan who is powerless, who is vulnerable, cannot defend himself. For the widow who has no family to take care of her, her husband's gone now. She's completely on her own. God stands with those kinds of people. And he says that we should not oppress them. In the book of Job, Job is uh, suffering under all these terrible things. And he's, he's trying to get God's attention and say, listen, God, I have, I have been good. <laughs> I've done good. All his buddies came around and said, you know, Job, you, you got some kind of sin. Because people who lose their whole family and all their possessions and all this bad stuff are obviously wicked people. So you're wicked. You got a problem. You need to repent. And Job goes before God and he says, listen, God, I have done all these things. Everything I did was honest, he says. Righteousness covered me like a robe. I wore justice like a turban. I served as eyes for the blind and feet for the lame. I was a father to the poor and assisted strangers who needed help. So Job is essentially saying to God, God, I have been doing what I am supposed to do. This is what God expects us to do. This is an expectation of God. And unfortunately, there is a segment of Christianity that preaches exactly the opposite of what I'm telling you today. And it is very tragic, incredibly tragic. It, it angers me that you have big churches filled with thousands of people because the preacher is telling them that God ex promises that they will not be sick and that they will be rich. That if you have enough faith, if you do this or this or that, you know what, you know what, I've, what I've just kind of noticed? Maybe just kind of a coincidence. You know, it's probably just a coincidence that the pastor's getting rich, but nobody else is. Have you noticed that? That he's got a mansion, a jet, flying around the world, living the life. If you give me thousands of dollars, then you will get all you need from God. So great scheme it's i mean who wouldn't want a jesus is gonna give you a brand new car right sign me up there i am i want that i want that kind of jesus is make me rich yeah well there's a problem with that it's because that's not what the bible says they are twisting it in their favor you know they're Twisting the scriptures because God identifies with the poor, does he not? Maybe you think he didn't. You know, I heard a pastor say that one time, a liar. He said, uh, 
Jesus was rich because he had a seamless robe. Ugh. How stupid is that? Why am I saying it like that? Well, because when Jesus died, he had zero possessions. Zero. What does that mean in our society today? What does that mean? If you die and you have no assets, what are you? You're dead broke, right? That's where the phrase comes from. You're dead broke. Jesus himself was homeless. He said, the son of man has no place of his own to rest his head. He didn't own a home. Jesus didn't have a retirement fund. He wasn't waiting to get a big check or a big lump of money and start living it up. He didn't have a horse. He didn't have a chariot. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he rode on a borrowed donkey. He wanted to have a Passover meal with his disciples, and so they used a borrowed room. And when Jesus was buried, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Jesus acquired no material Blessings, none. And you're telling me that wealth is a sign of godliness? I think you need to go back to seminary. I think you need some more biblical training. Because the Bible says that Jesus stands with the poor, the fatherless, the widow. And you know, I think it goes even farther than that in that wonderful video kind of alluded to that fact that we are all orphans. Did you catch that? Because in one sense we are. Because a person who's not an orphan is somebody who was born to a mother and father. Okay, they had a mom and dad. They were born. And those two people, that mom and dad, they just accepted what they got, right? They got you and they said, well, that's what we get. (laughs) Like it or not. But when you're an orphan, you're chosen. They see you, they learn about you, they know you, and they say, I want you. Okay? And that's what God did for all of us. He says, I want you. And I think that if you grew up in a home where it was a terrible childhood, and maybe you're parents were alcoholics or it was just crazy nuts and it was a terrible way to grow up and you really never had a childhood. God is your father. God intervenes in your life. I have a friend, wonderful friend of mine. Her name's Autumn. She is just a precious gem and grew up, had a terrible family life, really difficult challenges, stuff that you and I would, would just kill us. And yet she has all these wonderful stories of God's intervention in her life all throughout that time. Because I think God looked down on her and he said, I'll be your father. You don't have a father that's worth anything. I'll be your father. And I'll care for you. So I think it includes literal uh, orphans as well as other aspects of that as well. 
Jesus stands with the poor. And so let me just ask you, if Jesus is standing with the poor, where do we stand? If we're in right relationship with Christ, then we stand with him, right? If we're in obedience to Christ as a church, then we stand with the orphan and the widow and the needy. And some Christians would say, well, uh, you know, people who give to the poor and help out with the homeless and stuff like that, you know, that's a really great thing to do. And they must be good people. But I choose to do other things. It's a choice. You know, you decide for yourself. If you want to help the widow and orphan, it's up to you. You decide what do you want. Make your choice. It's optional. And I'm sorry to tell you, that is not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't give you an option. The Bible says that we must, as a church, stand with the poor, the orphan, the widow, the alien. <laughs> Think of our church like a train. A train, if it's going to go anywhere, has to have two rails, correct? If there's one rail, what is it? It's a stupid monorail that they built in the 70s. It only goes 100 feet. <laughs> the first time you ride that, you get on that thing and you're all excited. The monorail, and you're like, oh, okay, we're there. We just left. <laughs> Stupidest thing. Anyway, um, a train has to have two rails. And our church, what we do, why we're here, why we exist, is to proclaim the gospel. So that's one rail. That's what we, got, that's what we do. This is what we're about. We, we teach the gospel. We train the gospel. We train you. We train, you know, we're training people to obey. We're making disciples. But that's only one rail. What's the other one? Is Standing for justice in this community. Being a light in this community is the other rail. It's standing with the poor and the oppressed so they can walk free. You got to have both rails to be the church of God. If every one of us is supposed to be rich and healthy all the time, then why didn't Jesus have a huge mansion? I mean, that would make sense, right? He's God. He's king of kings. Why didn't he build a big, big castle church? Jesus was poor so that we could be rich in compassion, in kindness, in mercy, in helping those who are poor and oppressed and disadvantaged. That's why he was poor, not so that we could be materially wealthy and rich. It's not about gaining money. It's about walking like Jesus. And I could literally, I could stand up here and go all afternoon, really. I, honest, I'm not just exaggerating. I go all afternoon on all the scriptures that teach this perspective. It would make you really guilty, and, uh, and then I could just bash you and berate you, uh, making you give lots of money. 
And what would we accomplish? Absolutely zero. Because that isn't how this whole thing is, is changed. It's not how it's transformed. Yeah. Throwing more money at it is not the issue. It's not the, it's not the answer. What we need is a transplant. We need a transformed heart. We need a heart change. And only Jesus can do that. Remember my goal for today? Remember I told you what the goal was? It was by believing in the gospel and applying it to your life, you would reorient your life's priorities so that you would be able to do the wonderful work of justice and mercy in our community. I wonder if perhaps God is calling one of you to adopt an orphan. Maybe you've never thought about that before, or anytime it came up, you, you just immediately discount it. I'm asking you to open your heart this morning and at least say, God, I'm open. Maybe your kids are all raised now, and, and uh, so, so you, you worked out all your flaws on them, and <laughs> now you can do it right. Second chance for you, bad parents. <laughs> maybe, maybe God's calling you to be a missionary. And you're going to go to a third world country. Maybe you'll go for just a few weeks and you'll, you'll build a church or you'll, you'll help with medical supplies or you know, you'll do something to alleviate suffering for other people in the name of Christ. Maybe when you think, oh, I can never do that. I can never do that. I mean, guess what? Doug White, 80 years old, <laughs> just got back from Papua New Guinea on this island with no running water and no electricity for two, two three weeks, helping people in, translate the Bible into their own language. He tells this wonderful story about how this woman read the scriptures for the first time in her own heart language and she just wept and wept and wept and said, God has never been able to speak to me like this before. He speaks my language. Maybe God is calling you to do something like that. To make an exchange. You see why the exchange is so important for us is because we're all maxed out. Right? I mean, raise your hand if you got 20 hours of free time. Yeah, that, yeah, you laugh. Right? That's stupid. We are all maxed to the rafters and stuff we're doing. Even people who are retired don't have time because they're busy doing all this stuff. What I'm doing is I'm asking you in the name of Christ, reorient your life, give up some stuff. Maybe some, a few volleyball games or some softball games or what, I don't know what you're into, but give up something and exchange it for some time doing justice and mercy in our community with CRC. Make an exchange. Come and serve with us at the Tacoma Rescue Mission. Every third Saturday, there. 
making a meal, probably three, four hundred people, serving it, cleaning it up. And maybe here, maybe this is not a this is not a ploy for money, but maybe you're a sender and not a goer, because not everybody can go. And I I, I am living proof of that. If I went with Doug White, I'd still be there, but I'd be six feet under the ground. <laughs> I ain't going to no island like that, okay? I just can't physically. S- serious. I mean, I, I would die there. So I can't go, but what can I do? I can give Doug some money. I can help him lighten his burden so he's able to go. And so maybe you're not a goer, you're a sender, and maybe God has given you the ability to gather wealth and money, and so now you're you're gathering that to advance the gospel. You're a sender. But regardless of where you're at and what position you're at today, would you at least be open? Would you give me that today? Just be open and say, okay, God, Previously, I was closed to all of these options, but now I'm open. Send me. And see what he does. See if he doesn't begin changing your heart. I think if you open your heart and let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to you, he will, in fact, do that very thing. So let's pray together. Lord, I, I would so much like to see people stand here today and say, I'm available to you, Lord. Take my life. Send me, God, to where you want me to be. Use me to send others. I don't know how I can help, Lord. I don't know what I can do, but here I am. For everybody who has a million excuses, Lord, break through all that today. Excuses are nothing more than excuses because we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And money is no excuse either, Lord. You will provide for us in any endeavor you call, you always supply the need. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you'd move upon hearts this morning with great calling, drawing your people to be messengers of justice and mercy. Especially for the fatherless. Jesus' name.